This is an MVP podcast, My Village Productions. Welcome to Unsolved America, a show where we explore unsolved mysteries throughout the United States. I'm your host, Tiffany. And I'm your host, Andy, and each week we will throw a dart at the map and wherever it lands is the location of our mystery. This week, I landed on Maine. Oh, Maine. Lobsters. All I can think of are lobsters. Lobsters. Yeah, I don't really know. There's like a a band called The Main. I have never heard of that. Okay. Well. I know about lobsters. I know about lobsters and that is it. <laughs> don't ask me about anything else. So this is the story of um, Kurt Newton, who was a four-year-old boy who disappeared. Ah. Kids' stories always get to me. Yeah. And this one is interesting. Okay. I'm excited. Well, I'd hope so. Well, I'm so. not excited, but I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for it. So Kurt Newton, Kurt Newton was born on July 28th, 1971, to his parents, Jill and Ronald Newton. Growing up, Kurt and his family lived in Manchester, Maine, which is like the southern-ish part of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was once described by his neighbor as being the loveliest, sweetest towhead kid you have ever seen. Mm. Towhead. I actually had to look it up because I did not know blonde. what that means. It's blonde. It's blonde, but it's usually like blonde, like unkempt hair, like really messy, oh. kind of like shaggy looking. Do you know where I learned that term? Huckleberry Finn. Full house. <laughs> <laughs> I had never heard that term before. I was like. What the fuck does Toehead mean? <laughs> Full house gave me life lessons. <clears throat> Apparently. So his mother, Jill, shared the like the same exact sentiment. She's like, he's really adorable. He's really cute, mm-hmm. obviously. Most people think their kids are cute. Yeah. She did add, though, say uh, to it, saying that she, uh, he had a very sweet face, but that she was concerned that he was too attached to her. I mean, most boys are attached to their mothers. It's very true. So Kurt was known for being very shy, and he never wandered very far from his mother's side. He also was not one to wander into the woods near the, his home in Manchester. Mm. At one uh, one point, his sister Kimberly and he were playing out in the back, and she wanted to go into the woods, and he refused completely. Yeah. Um, and when his mother asked why he didn't want to go into the woods, he responded, there are monsters in there. No, oh, no. So... I mean, that could be to an active imagination or something more sinister. Definitely. So on Labor Day weekend of 1975, Jill and Ronald went camping with their children, Kimberly, uh, age six, and Kurt, age four, accompanied by families from their home in uh, Manchester, Maine. So just neighbors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natness. Natness Point campground was small and secluded it's 58 sites cut from a paper company forest in chain of ponds a wilderness township six miles below the canadian border oh wow i apologize my voice is very froggy today so a wilderness township six miles below the canadian border at coburn gore That Friday, the Newton family was the first to arrive. They gathered wood along an abandoned logging road, which is about one mile from their campsite. 
Kurt Newton was, I guess, like really keen on making bonfires. And he said, are you even camping if you don't make a bonfire? I mean, facts, right? Especially in the north. Yeah. It's It's cold. cold. Cold as fuck. Like, we're like next to the Canadian border. Like, I don't remember what time of the month you said, but or year, but Labor Day weekend. So, but still, it gets really cold. Oh, it does. The northern parts of the U.S. around Labor Day. It does. So their friends would later arrive on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Kimberly was racing her bicycle through muddy puddles while her brother Kurt would try and keep up uh, behind her on his big wheel tricycle. Being surrounded by friends and family, Jill Newton felt like things were just right as they continued celebrating the end of summer. Yeah, that sounds like a picturesque. Right, it sounds like a right. It sounds perfect, right? Friends, family, camping, probably alcohol involved, food, adults, s'mores. Sounds like a great time. Burgers, burgers, hot dogs. Just now we're just naming food. (laughs) (laughs) On Sunday morning, they woke to like a really like friggin' cold morning. Mm, like super cold and ron newton decided to build a bonfire to warm them all up uh by doing so he actually ended up using the last of the wood that he had collected on friday no uh kurt slept in until about 9 a.m because he was fighting off a cold and when he when he awoke he said that he was happy that his dad had built the fire because he was so cold ron dressed kurt uh for the chilly morning in a red jersey navy blue sweatshirt uh, speckled red and black corduroys. Kurt then put on his own dark brown shoes over mismatched white socks and topped off his outfit with his favorite navy blue jacket. Mm, all bundled up. Yes. <laughs> After a hearty breakfast of fried potatoes, ham, eggs, and toast. That sounds like a perfect camping breakfast. But it's also a little extreme. <clears throat> a little extreme. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of cooking for camping. Right. Uh, so Kurt put a donut on a stick and then warmed it over the flames after he ate his breakfast. That's more like it. And then he took it upon himself to throw the paper plates into the fire. <laughs> Sounds like what a kid would do, right? Mm-hmm. At this point, Jill decided that uh, she needed to wash the kids' sneakers that they had gotten dirty before. So she took the mud-soaked sneakers from earlier and with her friends walked to the bathhouse, which was 50 yards away. Okay. Kimberly began playing a game and assumed Kurt would ride his tricycle around the campsite. Ron climbed into his Ford Bronco, axe in hand, and drove off to get firewood. So the kids were left alone. Kids were left alone. I mean, mom was like 50 yards away. Dad just was like, I'm just going to go grab some, you know, some more wood really quick. Other families are around. It's not like they left them like alone, alone, alone yeah. in the woods, you know. Um, unfortunately, these moments are what constantly play back in the Newton family's minds as they try and piece together what happened next. Mm. So. A friend of theirs heard a pleading Kurt saying, Daddy, Daddy, as he ran to his, his tricycle. Being a determined little boy trying to catch his father, Kurt pedaled away down the logging road after his dad in the Ford Bronco. About a quarter mile away from the Newton's campsite, 12-year-old Lou Ellen Hansen is alarmed at seeing Kurt alone without supervision. She called out to him asking, do your parents know where you are? 
Unfortunately, Kurt didn't respond to her and just kept pedaling away. From this point, the road continues for another quarter mile until it forks. The left path will take you to a small campground dump that sits on a knoll past a rickety bridge that crosses a stream. To the right, it continues for one mile and then gives away to heavy undergrowth. The next several miles that led back to the main highway is nearly impossible to navigate without the assistance of a four-wheel drive vehicle. I don't understand how this four-year-old who didn't even want to go into the woods behind his house Mm -hmm. all of a sudden is like being so adventurous well he's just following the road right like it's not like he's he's... farther away than he normally would yeah that's true so it was on this road about one half of a mile past the fork where ron newton went to chop firewood for his family jack hansen lou ellen's father was a volunteer caretaker for the campground he found a tricycle just before the steep rise heading to the dump It was off the road at the edge of the woods, a position that reminded a state police investigator of a little boy who has been told never to leave his things on the road. So I remember that, like, they're like, if you see something on the side of the road, you should, like, stop and pick it up. Like, you shouldn't just leave things there. Yeah. So Jack decided to... um, pick up the tricycle thinking it had just been discarded and he carried it over the rise and heaved it atop the trash heap then drove back to the campground Mm -hmm. jill newton returned back to the campsite and uh hung kim and kurt's shoes on the line to dry she had been gone for a mere 10 minutes before returning to their site she saw no sign of kurt or his big wheel tricycle so she began walking around asking if anyone has seen a blonde boy on a tricycle She began to think that Kurt must have gone off with the men to gather firewood. When they returned shortly after that, with no sign of Kurt, panic immediately set in. Of course. The Newtons went to Jack and asked him about Kurt, and he told him that he had found a tricycle just a short distance from the dump site. The Newton family immediately raced over to the dump, and sure enough, there was Kurt's tricycle sitting on top of the heap, but no sign of Kurt anywhere. Hmm. Jill's first words out of her mouth was, my God, someone's taken him. The men quickly responded that he must have thought his dad was in the woods and wandered in to find him. However, as we know, as Jill knows, Mm -hmm. Kurt never wandered into the woods alone. Yeah. So there are monsters. Yeah. And it's a four year old kid. Like, I wouldn't wonder nobody's woods. Right. I don't it's weird right so it just didn't seem that didn't seem likely that he would have just like ditched his tricycle and just walked into the woods right from here investigators began what would come to be known as the biggest search in Maine's history oh well yeah all roads and trails within five mile radius of the camp the dump and all surrounding areas were searched multiple times Military helicopters and bloodhounds are brought in, but unfortunately they didn't find very much mm-hmm. of anything. No trace of Kurt was found in the area where his tricycle was found. If he had been walking in the area, his shoes would have made visible uh, footprints in the wet sand on the road. Hmm. The road behind the dump was not conducive to walking. It was overgrown um, with shrubs and trees. 
and trees had actually fallen down into its path, it is unlikely that he would have made it too far on that road without needing help from an adult. Another interesting fact is that there were no big wheel tracks on the road where his tricycle was found. But detectives did say that that may be, be that may be because the wheels on the tricycle were smooth. Yeah, they are. But you would I feel like you would still see like a line. A line. Yeah. Like yeah, there's not gonna be like tracks necessarily, but like you could probably see a line of like where he was pedaling. Yeah, because especially if it's wet sand, you're pushing into the sand, right? Yeah, you're pushing into the sand, and then you'll also have the two little ones on the side if he was still in training wheels. Mm -hmm. Just before dark on the night of the thirty first, Jill Newton thought she had heard a child's voice in the woods near the dump. She called out to Kurt for about fifteen minutes, but never got a response. Mm, that's hard. Other searchers couldn't find anything either. Uh, Ronald Newton told investigators that he and a friend would be calling out for Kurt every hour from different areas for the rest of the night. That night, temperatures were below freezing. Kurt would not have survived very long if he was outside with no shelter. The next day, uh, bloodhounds caught a scent off of Kurt's pajamas, but nothing else. Mm. Early on, Ronald Newton hurt his ankle and was limited in what he could do, but continued to call out for his son every night. The search was officially called off on September 12th. Altogether, more than 3,000 searchers traveled 20,000 miles and spent over 2,000 hours looking for Kurt, but they'd found very little. Oh my gosh. In addition to all these searches, each person at that campground was interviewed. Mm -hmm. One camper claimed she saw a white station wagon at the campground just after Kurt was last seen. According to her, the station wagon drove away so fast it left a cloud of dust behind. No white station wagons were registered at the campground, and nobody else had seen this car. Ooh, that's a lead. Yeah. And investigators didn't suspect foul play at this point. They thought Kurt had probably left the campsite and gotten lost coming back. Yeah, but why would the bike or tricycle or whatever it was be on top of the dump if he had gotten lost? Well, because um, the campsite... A caregiver, volunteer guy, saw the tricycle on the side of the road, and he took it to the dump, thinking that somebody had just, like, thrown it away. Oh, okay. And so he threw it on top of the dump. And that's when when the Newtons asked him about if they had seen a kid on a tricycle. He's like, oh, I found a tricycle. I thought it was discarded. I threw it away. Oh. And they went to the dump, and they confirmed that it was. It was uh, Kurt's tricycle. Oh, my gosh. So... State Police Officer Lieutenant G. Paul uh, Faulkner stated, From the beginning, we never discounted the possibility that Kurt was abducted, but there are no facts to indicate that he's not in the woods. Mm -hmm. According to State Police Detective Richard Cook, who was the head of the investigation at the time, with so many children available in the cities, why would a kidnapper come to one of the most remote campgrounds in the state hoping to find a child riding a tricycle along a deserted road? Okay, that pisses me off because it's like I it just doesn't sound like they they took that aspect of the investigation seriously. No. Like they it seems like they're like he's just lost in the woods. That's all that's all there is to it. There's no other there's no other solution. Which is so dumb because yes, that is a possibility, but you have to look at all possibilities. 
Also, if you were kidnapping somebody, a city has a lot of witnesses. Do you know what doesn't have a lot of witnesses? A campground, a secluded Wars. campground. And then that could also be the motive, right? Like if if the person who kidnapped somebody was smart enough, they could be like, well, if I kidnap, if I kidnap somebody from a campground, they're just going to assume that they just wandered off and got lost. That's going to be their first assumption, right? I mean, Clearly. yeah, of course. Clearly. So Kurt's parents still thought um, after all this, like after everything the police have been telling them, they still believe that Kurt had been abducted. Yeah. I mean, I would think that, too. Absolutely. With even the possibility that he had been taken to Canada had crossed their mind as well, because they were very close to the Canadian border. They stayed in the area for two more weeks before returning to Manchester. About two years later, when Kurt would have been starting school, they mailed his missing persons poster to every school district in the county. This process took about six months and cost over $5,000. Some schools replied with pictures of students who looked like Kurt. Police investigated these leads, but none of them led anywhere. That's smart, actually. It is, because he would have to go to school, right? Well... I mean, you would assume Yeah. So. There have been several reported sightings of Kurt over the years, but none, none have been confirmed to actually be him. One man said he saw a boy matching Kurt's description while camping in the Canadian Rockies. That same week, two waitresses claimed to spot a boy matching his description in the restaurant in Vermont. Where is the Canadian Rockies? Is that closer to Maine? I think so. I'm not sure. But still, I mean, it sounds like people are see, quote unquote seeing him or seeing mm-hmm. sightings all in the Northeast still. Yeah. So the boy at the restaurant was eventually found and it wasn't Kurt, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. About four months after he disappeared, there had been another reported sighting in New Orleans. This boy was very shy, just like Kurt, and only answered in names that had a K sound. The boy was later identified, and he was not Kurt. Mm. After an article about Kurt's disappearance was published in, in an issue of Yankee Magazine in 1979, even more people came forward claiming that they had seen Kurt, but none of these leads panned out. Mm. So what happened to Kurt Newton? That's That's obviously our main question here. There are so many theories online oh, that people sure. have. have. Um, a lot of people believe that he wandered too far and deep into the woods to be found, and he fell into a body of water, or some people are saying that he was abducted. Mm-hmm. One of the most talked about and I think popular theories online is that um, he was killed by a wild animal. Uh-uh. There was, um, I guess, a report that had mentioned that a captive bear was released in the area um, just, I think, a few weeks before um, Kurt was last seen. Mm-hmm. And then some people have even suggested like a mountain lion was to blame for his disappearance. Now, obviously, the issue with that is had that been the case, there would have been evidence of an animal attack, blood on the ground, probably clothing, like ripped clothing, things of that nature, a shoe, you know, like something that like would have fallen off of him. He's, are they eating like the jeans in his? That's what I'm saying. Like you usually, those type of animals don't usually eat every last bit of. Yeah. And the bones. Yeah. Yeah. If there are 3000 people searching over multiple miles or whatever in the area, there would have been something found if that was the case. Definitely. I uh, 100% agree. There's also a lot of speculation surrounding the police mm-hmm. um, in this investigation. And the the main complaint is that they had tunnel vision, if you will. Okay. 
with this case because they were so fixated on he was just lost in the woods that they didn't take time to actually explore any other possibility in the case. Which is so upsetting. Absolutely. So to me, when I when I when I hear about this, I mean, you have the the same year mm-hmm. told his mom he doesn't want to go into the woods because there's monsters out there. Right. Seems highly unlikely that he would just wander out there. Even if he was just trying to find his dad, I don't think he would have wandered into the woods. And very far. You said there were a lot of obstacles in the road and yeah. in the area. And, you know, I mean, four-year-olds are very brave in the sense of, like, they do dumb shit mm-hmm. and fall over and do risky things. But I don't think in the woods. Yeah, absolutely. So, unfortunately, his disappearance is unsolved to this day, and we really don't know whether it was he just got lost out there and, you know, kind of got taken by the elements or if he was actually abducted. So, Anybody with information, let us know. Yeah, there's, um, I mean, he would be so much older now. What year is this? 1975. Wow. I mean, he'd be an adult. He would be. Full-fledged adult. He'd be like in the 60s. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there are a lot of like, it's interesting because I, when I was reading this, there were like four other abduction cases um, that kind of matched, had like similar um, details, like white suburban, mm-hmm. all the kids kind of looked the same, things of that nature. Then why um, was this not looked into? It didn't come to light until that's true. In this very 70s, long ago, information sharing was a little bit harder than it is now. Definitely, um, but yeah. So it could have been like a serial abduction situation, but we just—I I honestly, with this being in the seventies, it's one of those cases that I don't think we'll ever really know what happens. Yeah. Unless he comes forward and like tells his story. Mm-hmm. If he is still out there, which he probably doesn't even remember exactly, right? He's too like he might be too young to like. I mean, you can like brainwash a child, yeah, especially when they're that young. Yeah, it's crazy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unsolved America. Head on over to Facebook and Instagram and follow us at Unsolved America MVP. And be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to contact us, please email unsolvedamericamvp at gmail.com, and we'll talk to you next week. This has been an MVP podcast, My Village Productions. 